We are in a series called Creativity Under Attack. Creativity Under Attack. Would you say that with me? Creativity Under Attack. We're working from the premise that, um, that our God is the creator of heaven and earth, of life and death. He is the creator of all humanity and all that we know. In fact, we studied last week that in the beginning, first chapter, first verse, of the Bible, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In other words, as we study through Scripture, we find a lot of the characteristics about our God. He's a God of love. He's a God of uh, He's a God of correction. He's a God of righteousness. He's our provider. He's all these uh, characteristics of who God is. But as we open the Holy Scripture, we find out that His initial characteristic that we find is that He's Creator or He's creative. And last week we looked at the word creativity, and it actually means the use. Of imagination or original thought. Creativity is the use of imagination or original thought. And I began to challenge us last week that God wants us to be creative like he is. And in fact, I believe that Satan, all he does is take God's things and try to destroy them. I don't believe by any means that he's creative. In fact, I think as a created being, he does nothing more than try to destroy the creative things of God. And I believe for you and me that God has intended us to be creative, to have creative solutions to life's problems. I'm praying and believing that someone out of our congregation finds a cure to cancer. I'm praying and believing that the next great president comes out of our congregation. I'm praying and believing that men and women who change the world are right here getting creative ideas from the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Are you with me? Say yes. And so I'm believing that you and I would start moving in creativity. In fact, we had a cool scripture last week. Just remind you about it. Galatians chapter six, verse four through five. It was out of the message Bible, not the best translation as far as, uh, you know, it's doctrinal, uh, uh, you know, strength, but a great piece here as far as just creative thinking. Look what it says. Make a careful exploration of who you are and the work you have been given and then sink yourself into it. Don't be impressed with yourself. Don't compare yourself with others. Each of you must take responsibility for doing the creative best you can with your own life. Can I tell you something? Instead of sitting around and complaining about what you don't have, what you didn't end up with, how you weren't born in the best family situation or the best scenario, how about you and I do what this scripture says and do the best creatively that we can with our own life. Isn't that good? And as you and I begin to move back into creativity in our life, I think we'll see supernatural breakthrough. And so last week we started with the premise that creativity has come under attack, that the enemy wants to keep you in a mundane, boring living, that he wants your Christianity to be boring, he wants your life to be mundane. In fact, we even made the uh, illustration last week, remember when we were all kids? And how creative we were. And we would sit around drawing things at school. Having these bright, crazy ideas. And we would play out in the yard with other kids. And we'd pretend like we were spaceships and things like that. But now we're mature. Now we have responsibility. Now we have ways of doing things. We have systems and plans. And we have all of these things in place. And what happens is over time, before we know it, we've lost our creativity. And so last week we talked about the number one, as I see it, the number one attack on creativity or how the enemy has destroyed us and kept us from having creativity. And that was number one, by overwhelming our mind. By having an overwhelming thought process that there's no space to be creative because we're so busy with so much information. And, and I challenged us, according to the Holy Scripture, to, if we will, to, to replenish, to, to cleanse out, to get right in the things of the Lord by obeying the Sabbath. 
where the Lord teaches us to remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. And I gave you good teaching on what the Sabbath really is and the practical application to mind in your life and what that could look like. And that if, if we'd even just start with a couple of hours or, or, or a time frame once a week where we just set aside everything and we just set with the Lord and let him replenish us and let him, you know, uh, take it, defrag all the junk of the week and all the stuff that's bombarding our mind. And as we looked into that and we taught you about the Sabbath, man, I just heard so many great reports and I'm seeing you come alive again. And I want you to put that in practice. People ask me all the time, how are you so, how are you so passionate? How have you been a Christian for so long, been pastoring for so long, and you're just so passionate? It seems like you always got these great ideas. I'm telling you, my strength is being obedient to the word of God where he says, and have you Sabbath and come before the Lord and let him replenish me and rework me and, re- and massage out all the junk from the week and get all that trash out of my brain so I can start loving people again. Come on, you know what I'm talking about. And that was a great teaching. If you didn't hear it last week, go back and listen to the podcast online. And so today we're talking about the second great attack, if you will, or the, 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 the plan that the enemy uses to keep you and I from being creative. And then next week we'll talk about the third and final. So we've been talking about what that attack is and then solutions to overcome that. Today we'll be talking about the second great attack is fear. Fear. Many of us aren't creative because we've become bombarded with fear. Fear of failure. Fear of what other people may think if we don't do it exactly right. Fear of losing something we built up at this stage in our life. And so we can't be creative. We can't run with Jesus the way he wants us to. And friend, I want you to know today that's going to break. Our key scripture is Acts chapter 4 and verse 13. If you'll turn there quickly or you can watch it on the screen. Acts chapter 4 and verse 13. It says, and when they saw the courage of Peter and Adam, I mean John, and realized that they was unschooled, ordinary fellers. They were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. one of my top ten favorite scriptures on all the word. It says, when they saw the courage of Peter and John, they took note and said, whoo-hoo, these dudes just like everybody. These, just, these guys ain't, they don't, they don't have a doctorate degree. These guys right here, they're not that smart. They're not that educated, but we can tell they've been with Jesus. If you'll back up to chapter 3 of Acts, you'll find out what kind of initiated all this. Peter and John are on their way to church. And as they walk past the gate, beautiful, there's a man, the Bible says, who's been lame from birth. He's never been able to walk. And he's asking for help. He's asking for people to give donations to him. And he's crying out, can you help me? Can you help me? Excuse me, sir. And he gets the attention of Peter and John. He says, do you have any piece of gold, silver, any, any money? You got a dollar, bro. Come on, man. Give me a dollar. And Peter and John walk over to him. He says, they look him straight in the eye and say, listen, silver and gold we don't have. But such as we have, we give to you in the name of Jesus. Rise up and walk. And in that moment, this man's legs start working. For the first time since he's been alive, for the first time in the history of his existence, all of a sudden his legs strengthen. He jumps up and he starts walking. It's supernatural. And the big commotion, everybody's running over to see it. And then come all the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Sanhedrin, all come running over. What are you doing? You don't have a right to do this in the temple. What is happening here? And just to embarrass them, And just to kind of intimidate them, they go and throw them in jail. Have you ever been in jail? Don't raise your hand. I know some of you. We we want you to keep working in the kids' ministry, so don't tell nobody. I've been in jail. I have been in jail. I just want to go ahead and own it right now. You say, ooh, I knew my pastor was wicked. No, no. 
Back in the day, I was so on fire about the, uh, uh, so angry about the murder of innocent babies that we sat out in front of abortion clinic and uh, locked arms and wouldn't let them kill babies that day. Well, they got the police and they took about a hundred of us to jail and, and uh, we were all fired up about it. Yes, we sat, we got beat up for the cause of Christ and the cops are throwing you all around. They zip tying you and throwing you in the paddy wagon. It was awesome. And then we get to jail and they throw me off in one and they shut the door, cacao. And all of a sudden I'm like, I'm in jail. And I turn around, there's Bubba. Hey, how you doing? What you in here for? Man, I'll tell you. You know, you try to be like a rooster make yourself look bigger. Man, I'm in here. because we, we fighting all people who kill babies. All right, that's good. That's right. That's right. In the name of Jesus, I'm going to sit over here on my back to the wall. There you go. And they try to do that with Peter and John. They try to intimidate them, put them in jail. And the next morning, they go get them out. And they say, what do you do? Who gave you the right to do this? And what happened here? And then all of a sudden, now Peter, this is the same persons, the same group of Peter, the same group of people that Peter had been intimidated of just days earlier, just probably 50, 60 days earlier when Jesus was being taken. And, and, and it says that he got so intimidated of him. I wasn't with Jesus. I wasn't with Jesus that he began cursing the little servant girl. Blank and blank. I told you I wasn't with Jesus. Now he's standing in front of the same group of people who murdered his savior, who murdered his best friend. And now instead of being scared, he looks him straight in the eye and he says, let me tell you something. We didn't, we didn't do this Jesus Christ who you crucified healed this boy we didn't do it and if you want us to tell you what's up here's the problem you need to repent and ask Jesus into your life and in that moment they respond with again verse 13 when they saw the courage of Peter and John they took note and they said wait a minute these are just ordinary dudes wait a minute we can tell they've been with Jesus the courage that came after a creative miracle can I tell you the enemy's trying to keep you in fear so that you never see the creative supernatural work of God in your life. So that you never have creative ideas that blows your office apart. That causes your business to go six levels past. Where you, or causes your relationship with your spouse to get healed and delivered. All because of a creative thought. He wants you to live in fear. He wants you to be destroyed by the fear. And he's been putting that on you ever since you were a little kid. Trying to keep you put down. Because here's the power of fear. Fear is nothing more than a lie of what might, could, would, maybe, if not, could happen. That's what fear is. That's what it does. It's the fear of loss. It's the fear of disappointing people. It's all of these things wrapped together to destroy you and keep you from being creative. But Peter looks at him. He says, listen to me. We didn't do this. Jesus did it. And the courage shook them. And they let them go. They just let them go. When I look through the New Testament, I see the courage. I see the supernatural creativity of God at work. It blows my mind. It blows my mind how God, when I think about like Peter's shadow healing people, why do that? Why not just pray for people? Why not just lay hands on them? Why the shadow? I think because God's just like, watch this. I don't even let the shadows heal people. That's going to be right. That's cool. That's just cool and creative. I mean, even to the place where they were saying that the, 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 the cloth on Peter's body, they would take it because he couldn't get somewhere, and they would send it to people, and they would, the moment they got that piece of cloth and put it on their, their place that they were ailing, they would get healed. Just crazy. I love the moment where Paul's having this confrontation, and this mayor of this entire city is about to get saved, and his little assistant starts trying to keep him from getting saved and Paul goes hey enough of that be blind and all of a sudden he's blind that's just cool creative I mean solutions to problems we see the New Testament church living in this and from the time you and I have become Christians from the time we started serving God the enemy's trying to put fear on us to keep us from experiencing the creativity of the living God the supernatural power of God flowing through us to change the world and friend can I tell you something it's time that fear is destroyed are you with me say yes 
Come on, you can do better than that. Are you with me? Say yes. There's this awesome passage in Matthew chapter 24 and verse 14. In Matthew chapter 24, verse 14, God makes this, Jesus makes this statement. God in Jesus makes this statement. And he's talking about the last days. They ask him, how do we know when the end of the world's going to happen? How are we going to know? And Jesus said, well, no man knows. So don't go around trying to say it's July this or that. He said, nobody knows. Only the Father. Now, I don't even know. Nor do the angels know. He says, but you can tell when it's about to happen. There's going to be some birth pains. Come on, ladies. They're going to be, you know it's happening. You don't know what time that baby's going to be born, but you know this thing has started. And he said, there'll be wars and rumors of wars, earthquakes and famines. That's what Jesus says. And then he wraps it up right here in verse 14. And he says it like this. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. So when we realized this scripture in the 80s, we realized, wait a minute, if we'll just go ahead and preach to everybody in the world and they'll know about Jesus, then we can all go home. So that's the goal. So in the 80s, we, we were like, look, we've got technology where we can jump on airplanes and we can go preach to these people. In fact, we got to the place in the late 80s, early 90s where we were able to identify the unreached people groups of the world, the people who've never heard. We called it the 1040 window. There was a geographical area where most of the people who'd never heard the name of Jesus, they all lived with it. And so we started sending missionaries there and started learning languages and going and living amongst them. It was awesome. And then somewhere in the late 80s, early 90s, mid-range like that, people in, in, in countries that didn't have a lot of technology, all of a sudden they started getting televisions. And so then we thought, well, hey, what we'll do is we don't have to go over there. We can just send our television broadcasts over there. And so now all of a sudden you see all these Christian television uh, companies, you know, from Daystar to TV and God TV and all the ones from the past. And then we just, we just, they can just turn on their TV. But then something else happened about 10 years ago. And that is that every person just about, I know not completely, in the world was able to get their own phone. Everybody, it's amazing. You go to, I go to poverty countries all the time. It's amazing to be out in the middle of nowhere with no electricity and they got a cell phone. It's like, I don't know how you're doing that, but that's amazing. It's, it's unbelievable how that has transpired. And friend, I'm old enough to remember when you actually called somebody's house. I remember that. And if they weren't there, you would then leave a message on their answering machine. And it was this little box. And it would, you would sit like you do with your voicemail now. And then it would leave a message for them. And you'd say, look, when you get home, call me back. And then they would get home and they would call your house. And if you hadn't left and you were still there, you'd talk to them. I even remember when we went to the next level where we all got beepers. There were these little boxes that we wore on our side. Ladies attached them to their purse string. It was awesome. And then what would happen with that is we keep that on us. And then you could, from your house or from work, you could page us and we would get a little, and we look down at it and it'd be the number. And if we didn't know the number, we call, who is this? And, but it would, it, it would just be a number. And we call that number back and we had about 10 minutes. If you didn't call in 10 minutes, you'd stop your car, find a pay phone at circle K or something. And you'd have to have quarters all the time. Watch yourself. And then I know y'all, that's these little round metal things that you, anyway. And so we, and we put them in video games too. It was crazy. And, um, and, and we, and we would call you back and then we would talk. And if you didn't call back in time, you got in trouble. It was awesome. And then all of a sudden, we all got personal digital devices on our sides, in our hand, our handheld devices. And for the first time in my mind, in the history of the world, every person 
can hear the gospel because we can just put it out there on social media and right there from their phone, they can all, and then the end can come and we can go home. So I love that God is so stinking creative. He's like, let's wait till we get that whole technology thing going. So you're thinking, you know, that Apple and Steve Jobs and all these guys, they're the ones that have been trying to make billions of dollars on all of us. No, no, God's been going, I'm going to push that right there so this can happen and everyone can get this. And so now we're giving away. You remember your old iPhone 2 and 3? Guess where it ended up? It ended up in the Amazon. I saw that dude with it. I'm telling you, living in a hut with your old iPhone 3. They've recycled all these phones all around the world and just about everyone's got And now, think about it. In just a moment, one push of the button, everyone can be contacted at the same time. In fact, earlier this morning, while you were getting ready for this service or you were on your way, you got a text message from Church on the Hill talking about how much we love you and appreciate it. How many of you guys got that? See, you in the collective. You're in the circle. Those of you who have not, go to our website and open you up an account with us. It's really easy to do. But you got that and you're like, oh, they love us. That's right. That's right. You're in the circle with one button. I told every one of you, I love you. In one moment, we can preach it to everyone. This thing is happening. How creative is our God? How cool is the God that we serve? Now we've got to overcome that fear. Are you with me? Say yes. So let's talk about fear for just a little bit. Proverbs 29, 25 says it like this. The fear of people becomes a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord will be set on high. Some of you, your fear of failing has destroyed you and become a snare to you. You haven't moved up in your business. Some of you, your fear of being embarrassed has kept people from actually knowing the truth of who Jesus is. Some of us, our fear of making a mistake has kept us from trying And it's become a snare to us. Oh, but whoever trusts in the Lord will be set on high. Will be set on high. Friend, it's time that fear gets broken. Fear is the greatest enemy of a Christian. It is your greatest enemy. You say, oh, really? Yeah. Because all throughout the scripture, we hear God saying, have faith in me. Trust me. Have faith in me. Trust me. See, the Bible says he didn't give us a spirit of fear, but power, love, and a sound mind. So if you have fear in an area, that came from the pit of hell. Because we're not supposed to be people of fear. We're supposed to be people of faith. We're supposed to be trusting the Lord. Our daddy controls the universe. Our daddy controls the heartbeat of the person who's a jerk standing next to you, being mean to you. Our daddy, the king of glory, the one who watches out for us, and he's got every one of the hairs on your head number one, two, three, for some of you, three, four. He's got, he's got them numbered. He's got all of it figured out. Are you with me? Say Yes. So why do we have fear? Because from the time we were children, the enemy's been trying to bombard us with fear. Fear of failure, fear of what people think, fear of being embarrassed, fear of not... Some of you work two and three jobs because you're scared of being poor. Some of you, some of you let people treat you horrible because you're scared of being lonely. Some of you have horrible relationships because you have a relationship and you're scared of losing it. You just get... They're terrible. You won't bring any life into it. You won't bring any correction to things that are inappropriate. Why? Because you're scared that they may not want you and reject you. You have such a fear. Oh, but it's time that fear breaks. Are you with me? Say yes. Come on, are you with me? Say yes. Look at 1 Corinthians 16, 13 says, this ought to be your scripture this week. Be on your guard. Stand firm in the faith. Be men and women of courage. Be strong. Be men and women of courage. Be strong. Turn to that person next to you and say, be strong. Well, see, Boudreaux, he was having some problem with fear, so he went to the psychiatrist. He went and sat down with the psychiatrist. He, says, he said, Doc, I got some problems. 
He said, what's the problem, Boudreaux? He said, Doc, I'm, he said, listen, I'm telling you, something's under my bed. He said, I can't sleep at night because I can hear it moving around. I don't know if it's Freddy Krueger or what. I'm so scared in the middle of the night, it's going to come out from under my bed and kill me. I can't sleep. It's making me all upset. I don't know what to do. And he said, uh, Boudreaux, I tell you what you do. I can help you. He said, I tell you, it's going to take some time, though, because this, this didn't happen by accident. He said, this is what we're going to do. He said, Boudreaux, you set three appointments a week with me. You come three times a week for a year, and by the end of it, we'll get rid of all your fears. You'll be strong. I promise you, you won't be scared no more. Boudreaux said, hi, oh, yeah, okay. He said, well, how much it costs to come to one appointment? He said, Boudreaux, it's a little expensive. It's $80 appointment. Ooh, that's a lot of money for a year. He said, yep. He said, for a year. He said, well, Boudreaux said, well, let me think about it. Six months passed. He never come back. Man, the psychiatrist is out at the mall one day. He sees Boudreaux across the mall. He goes, hey, Boudreaux, where you been? He said, man, I ain't been doing nothing much. He said, Boudreaux, what, I, what happened with all that fear you was going to come and meet with me? He said, well, Doc, I got to be honest with you. He said, I started adding up $80 three times a week for a whole year. He said, that's a lot of money. He said, and then I went and found this Cajun pastor named Pastor Adam McCain. He said, I sat down with him, and he cured me for free. He said, I took all that money I would have spent with you, and I done bought me a brand-new pick up truck. He said, you did? He said, well, how did that Pastor Adam cure you? He said, well, he told me all I had to do was cut the legs off of my bed and ain't nothing under there now. <laughs> See, creativity will bring you fear of courage can be broken. All right, so we got, I got two solutions for any fear that you're working with, and I want you to write these down, and then we'll break them down for a second. Two solutions to the fear that each and every one of us are struggling with some type of fear. Number one, the first solution is you and I need to learn how to deflate fear. I'm going to teach you how to do that, but let's get these two solutions down first. Number one, we have to learn to deflate fear. And number two, the second solution is you and I need to attempt bold exploits. Number one, you've got to learn how to deflate fear, which I'm going to teach you, give you a little, a, a little thing that you can do here in just a second. And then number two, you've got to attempt some bold exploits. Some of you are still talking about what you did 20 years ago. I walked up to him and I told him, you ain't never going to treat me like that again. And he got down on his knees and repented. God came. It was amazing. Really, that was 20 years ago. But that was a bold exploit for you. I mean, you're just so excited about it. And one time you prayed for somebody when you was 13, and they almost got healed. And you're still talking about that, but you ain't prayed for anybody since. Why? Because you haven't attempted any other bold exploits. So let's go back to deflating fear. And I, and I had this experience recently. I was going through a TED Talk that I found. And uh, if you don't know what TED Talks were, um, ask a millennial. So anyway, and I was going through this TED Talk, and it was a guy by the name of Tim Tim. Ferris, Tim Ferris, and it was a great TED Talk, and he's not a Christian or believer by any means, but he was talking about his bipolarism and how he has, uh, he was a businessman and uh, very successful, and then he would have these deep depressions and overcome by fear, and he would lose a business and back and forth, up and down, and literally this guy somehow tapped in to a heavenly understanding, and he was able to articulate a little process that he goes through to deflate fear, and when I heard it, I was like, that's the Lord, and I'm going to teach Church on the Hill people this, because it's going to change your life, so he brought he came up with this kind of little task, this kind of little uh, exercise that you could do, and he called it a fear listing, and then, and then, of course, I'm calling it deflating that fear. And so let me give you a little bit of what he came up with. I'm giving him credit for it because he stole it from heaven, and it's powerful. The first thing that you and I want to do, put that next screen up, is to write down what if, and then define the fear in the first column. What if? So what if I actually started my own business? 
What if I did that? I'm scared to do it, so identify it. So the first thing is define it. What is causing you fear? That first column where it says define, what is causing you fear? What's, and, and what's the worst thing that could happen if you, make, if you do have this action? If you go and confront, confront uh, your spouse about you know, this inappropriate stuff that in, these things are happening and so forth and so on. What, what, what if? What if I made this leap of faith? What would, what would be the result? Define it. And then the second column on that topic, is uh, what, what could you do to prevent it from being terrible? What could you do to keep, prevent it from being a horrible situation? That if uh, the thing that you're scared of, what can you do to prevent the thing that you're scared of? Can, and here's the thing. Let me just sidebar for a second. Do you understand the enemy works by inflating the problem bigger than it really is? Oh, if you do this, you're going to be alone for the rest of your life. Oh, if you do this and it doesn't work, you're going to be broke and poor. That's exactly how he works. So the way you deflate that fear, the way you steal its power is to face it head on. So you write down, if I do this, this is what I want to do. This is what I'm scared is going to happen. And then what would I do to prevent this from happening? What could I do to prevent it? And then the last column over to the, over to the far right is if the worst thing happened, what would I do to repair it? Who could I go to? Who could help me to repair this situation? And let me just testify for just a moment. So a number of years ago, in my mind, I was living my dream. I was running a Bible school, had 1,250 students. I'm training the world's leaders. They're coming to me. And, and, and it's exciting. And as a result of that, I'm then traveling, getting on an airplane, and I'm traveling somewhere in the world and preaching to tens of thousands of people at a time. I'm being invited to some of the most prestigious gatherings of Christians. I'm interacting with leaders, and we're talking about world domination, excuse me, how to correct things in the church. I'm sitting next to all the big name Christians that you know and big leaders of our Christian community and and I'm inviting them to speak in in my environment. They're having me speak in their environment. It's just magnificent. I'm literally helping shape the direction of of the future of Christianity in the United States and really across the world and loving every moment of it. In the midst of that, the Lord tells me to start a church. I'm like, why would I do that? Why would we need another church in the Metroplex? But the Lord tells me to do it, so Jamie and I obey it. And I figured that the Lord would just have me start it, and then I would hand it over to someone. Because I'm living my dream. I'm doing what I was made to do. As you can tell, I love young adults. As you can tell, I'm vibrant. I'm active. Even as an old dude, I'm still cool. And anyway, so, and so I, I, got this, you know, I got this whole thing going, and I'm living my dream. And then somewhere about five years ago, the Lord said, okay, I'm done with you doing all of that, and I want you to put your full attention on this church. You're not giving it away, but I want you to put your full attention on this church. And friend, I had to write in that column the fear that overtook me. God, if I do this, we only got a handful of people. I'm not going to be prestigious anymore. No one's going to, no one's going to, if I don't show up and speak it, I can't go travel and preach and pastor you guys. If I pastor this group of people, it's like, think about it. It's like you having, it's like you having quintuplets right now. You ain't doing nothing else but taking care of them babies. Lord, if I take this on, that means I got to give up everything else. He said, exactly. And so it, it, I had a great fear that I'd be poor. I started having pictures in my mind. I'm that pastor. You know, that old guy with a couple strings of hair left. Big old belly, handful of people. He's Ali, come on, come to church. I'm mad, I'm angry at life because it's not working. I started having these pictures in my mind. I'm serious. I started having this difficulty of, Lord, how am I going to finance this? Because we were at a place where we were really making good, good finances were coming in for us. God was blessing the things that we had put our hands to. And now I'm going to start all over with a handful of people. They weren't, they're, they're t- we, were, we were the top tither in the church. Oh, we, uh, what are we going to do? We're not going to be. So I said, okay. So I started writing in the preventive column. We're going to take our kids out of private school. We're going to sell our big house. And we're going to move into rental property. We're going to do this. We're going to do this. 
And Lord, your name be great. And then, you know what, Lord? If it all blows away. And I told, uh, I told the elders this. Listen, if it all falls apart, we'll just do like everybody else. We'll go to Gateway and I'll just go back traveling. And they were like, let's do it, Pastor. And so we just went for it. It was scary. I was full of fear. I'm telling you, I'd love to say I was so courageous, but the truth of the matter is, I started deflating that fear, and that's why we're here today. Because I said, no, sir, I will not be governed by fear. I will be a man of courage. How can I train a group of people to go stomp the gates of hell if I myself can't do it here and now? If I can't lay down and, and what I thought was important and go after what God says is important, if I can't obey him now, how will I obey him when he asks me to lay hands on a person with cancer? So I will follow you, Lord, to the, to the ends of the earth and back. And Frank, can I tell you, in that moment, supernatural things started happening. And that brings me to the next page. And what, once you get past filling this out like that, give them the next slide, please. So what might be the benefit of an attempt or a partial success? In other words, if I do this and I step out, the thing I'm scared of, if I do the thing I'm scared of, what might actually be the benefit? So what you're doing is basically weighing the fear against the potential benefit. And this is where a lot of people never get to. And I know this is very practical, but friend, I don't know why we super spiritualize everything in our life. Jesus is very practical. He came to earth. He ate. He had to buy toilet paper. Listen, I'm telling you, there's some practical things in the way he had to do life and business. And so as a result, when you and I look into so what, could, what good could come out of this? What's some of the benefits? And here's the last slide and the next piece that you then take another one. What's the cost of inaction? If I don't do this, what's going to be, if I don't do this now, what will be in six months, where will I be? Or a year, where will I be? Second call, what will happen in a year? Or three years. Some of you have small businesses and you haven't taken vacation in three years. Do you know what your, your cost of being scared to take vacation because it's going to fall apart? You're going to burn yourself out and you won't have a business anyway. Some of us have been, back to my storyline, so I was like, Lord, if I quit doing what I'm doing. I don't know if I'll have any money. I don't know if it'll work. I don't know if anybody will come to our church. I don't know if we can build it. I don't know. It's all scary to me. I started deflating it, deflating it, deflating it, deflating it. And on this page, you know what I wrote uh, 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 as the cost of inaction? If I don't do something now, then I'm going to be 60 years old working for somebody else's ministry. Someone that loves me and likes me, but at the end of the day, I'm a tool for the betterment of their ministry. I'm not a son of their house. There's a difference between being the son of somebody's house being family, that actually they're promoting you and giving you portions of the ministry versus you work for the ministry. And I said, Lord, if I don't do this now. So in my 40s, I took the leap of faith. And here we sit today with over a 1,000 folks in our church. We're paying the bills. God is good. You're here. I'm here. And I told somebody the other day, I get to do life with the coolest people on the planet. I get to every day work with people that I love. I actually like you guys. That's a big deal. Because a lot of the churches I was going to preaching, I was like, Lord, get me out of here. Let me drop it and go. And I'm telling you, this is the joy of my life. Why? Because I faced that fear and deflated it. You've got some fears you need to deflate so that you can actually do what God's told you. Creativity will come the moment you start facing the fear. Creative ideas, creative breakthrough things, connections with people you never thought possible. Why? Because you start facing the fear. Creativity will kick in the moment you face it. And here's the last piece. The second piece on how we overcome this fear was exploits, bold exploits. Turn to that person next to you and say, bold exploits. Tell them again, say, bold exploits. It's time for you to do some things you've been scared to do. It's time for you to actually confront some things. Listen, I'll, I'll tell you, I had, uh, w- when I was in high school, 
I got radically saved as a young person. And then my mom and dad put me in a Christian high school. They thought that would help fix me. That made me worse. I learned how to be carnal and wicked and hide it. It was amazing. And I had this best friend. His name was Sean. And Sean was a pastor's son. And, uh, and his dad was the local Baptist pastor. And he and I, we got in so much stinking trouble. It was unbelievable. Like, like, I don't know if you have a friend like this or have had one in the past. But Adam plus Sean equals sin. I'm just telling you, that's what it equals. And so we, anytime we got together, I mean, I, and again, you know, we weren't, you know, doing drugs and murdering people, but I'll never forget, you know, one particular time I'm on the side of a highway. This is just, just a quick one. I'm on the side of the highway because we're going to steal this road sign one o'clock in the morning and we were going to justify it. We're going to put it up in a room. Stop. If you love Jesus, we'd already got the yield sign yield to the move of the spirit. We're going to put that in our rooms, right? So I'm on the side of the road, stealing, trying to get this sign up and I, we, the bolts were rusted, so I couldn't get them off there. So I'm just going to pull the whole thing up and we're back and forth. And all of a sudden one o'clock in the morning, I don't know how he did it, but this police officer sneaks right up on us and lights us up and rolls down the window. I'm like, oh, we're going to jail. We're going to jail. And he goes, guys, what are you doing? And we're like, well, sir, this sign was crooked. And we almost ran through the intersection. And so we were trying to straighten it. Now, he's been watching us do this probably off in the dark for 10 minutes. And he goes, well, I can't prove anything different. I know you're lying to me. So look, just get your butts at home and don't ever do this again and I won't send you to jail. We're like, yes, sir. Thank you, Jesus. And so, and so that's, kind of, that's kind of stupid stuff. So we were always vandalizing stuff, blah, 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 and calling it fun. And we just mischievous, but it was always wicked. And we were living in sin big time, but going to a Christian school and going to church every weekend. And I went to a retreat uh, just a couple weeks before my, my senior year. And man, God, he ripped me anew. And God transformed me. He did something so beautiful in me. And my buddy Sean, he didn't go on that trip. And so when I got home, I just knew it was time to have a bold interaction with Sean. I'm going to have to talk to him. And, and, I, and, I, and I started planning it. Okay, I'm going to walk up to his house. I'm knocking on the door. I'm going to say, hey, man, listen, God did something in my life. I want you to come with me. Let's do great things for God. He's going to say, you're right. He's going to fall on his knees. I'm going to pray. He's going to repent. It's going to be awesome. Dreamed up all this stuff. But I also had the other side of that dream. He's going to punch me in the face and say, get out of my yard. You know, something like that. I had that whole thing going. And so I got in the car. I said, I'm going to do it. I'm going to, I'm going to do some, something bold and courageous. Went and knocked on his door. He came to the door, and I told him, I said, Sean, man, God did something crazy in my life this week, man. I'm, I'm just, I got right with God. I was tired of being a hypocrite. And, dude, I, and he's like, okay. I was like, dude, I'm just over here to say, man, I'm not doing what we've been doing anymore. I'm not going to live like that. I want to go out all the way for Jesus. And he goes, all right, whatever. I was like, dude, I want you to come with me, though. Let's serve God with all of our heart. And he got mad. Like, dude, I'm a Christian. Like, no, you're not. No, we, we, we weren't going to heaven. You can call yourself whatever you want. You buy the sticker or whatever and put it on your chest. But that's not what we were. We weren't like Jesus. And he, go, and he got mad, you know, because, you know, he's, he didn't want his parents to find out what he's been doing. And, and so I said, bro, please, come on, man. Let's, won't you, let's you and I pray together. Let's serve God. Man, we can change the whole school for Jesus. And I promise you, he slammed the door in my face. So that first week of school, man, I'm walking through the hallway, and I'll never forget, I'm, I ain't got my buddy. We hadn't talked, we hadn't interacted in a couple weeks, school started, and I'll never forget, I'm walking through the hallway, and he, in front of everybody, you know how hallways are, in high school, it's all busy. He's like, hey, everybody, watch out, Alvin Kane, he's he going to tell you your sin, he's a man of God. Now I'm like, man, shut up, what are you doing? And man, he did that to me for a couple weeks, but I stayed the course. I was bold and courageous, I stayed the course. 
And I'm telling you, by the end of that school year, Sean was serving God with all of his heart. The captain of the basketball team was serving God with all of his heart. We've got top cheerleaders serving God. God started doing something supernatural in our school. Why? Because of a bold exploit. God is asking you to try something that you haven't been willing to try. You, some of you need to confront some people in love. Some of you need to make some... Some of you need... Listen, you've been getting these things. You're standing in Walmart, and this little lady's talking about a problem she's having. And you know God wants you to pray for her, but you're like, mm she might scratch my eyeballs out or something. See, that fear came on you. And the way you overcome that fear, first off, you got to deflate it. And second of all, you got to make some bold exploits. you got to take some leaps of faith. you got to try some things that maybe you were scared to do. And friend, can I tell you something? Once you do that, creativity will kick in. The creativity of your, of your maker will kick in and supernatural things will start happening. Now, I want to help, if I could, be a good pastor for a moment. And when I start talking about courageous and bold exploits, some of you are new to Christianity. Some of you are, you know, have that personality where you're crazy anyway. So let me help kind of define some things for you, if you don't mind. So let me give you a couple of encouragements about bold exploits. Number one, just stepping out is success. Just stepping out is success. I'm telling you, just stepping out is success. Maybe you say, ma'am, can I pray for you? I feel like God told me to tell you this. She goes, no, get away from me. The fact that you stepped out was success. Even if she said, no, it doesn't matter. The fact that you said to your boss, hey, can we sit down and talk about this? I feel like there's some, some, real, some real problems between us. Or sit down with your family and just say, you know what? Hey, guys, I know Dad hadn't always been the most sold out. And, you know, that Pastor Adam, he keeps pushing all my buttons. And the Lord's messing with me. I know it's time for me to be a little bit better of the leader of our family. And I'm, I'm, I'm going to start trying. You may not get it all right. and You may mess it up. But just stepping out is success. Just stepping out is success. Here's a second little encouragement I would give you, and that is never attempt to force your will over someone else's. Write it down, and then I'll explain it to you. Never attempt to force your will on someone else's or over someone else's. The reason why I say this is because when people start trying to overcome fear, and they start trying to be courageous for God, next thing you know, you'll see people lose their mind. They don't mean to. They're just trying to overcome their own fear. And this is a rule of thumb that I try to teach people. Don't try to force your will on their will. Uh, you know, I, I, was, I was in this meeting one time at our church years ago, 10,000-member church, 6,000-seat uh, sanctuary, and we brought this big guest speaker in, and he wanted to move in the power. Hallelujah, man. He was moving in the power, and he was laying hands on people, and people were falling down. And he's laying hands on them, falling down. I'm just watching him from the balcony like, man, you lay hands on me. We're going to be doing this right here. Let's go. I'm not falling down. He got to this guy. I guess he was like me. The guy was like, mm-hmm, I ain't falling down. So he starts laying hands on the guys, and, you know, he's doing all this. And finally, the guy over the mic, the evangelist over the mic says, you know what? You're resisting the Holy Spirit, so you know what? I'm going to push you down right now because you need to submit to God anyway. In that moment, you know what happened to me and that dude up there? I guarantee you, God's fake. This guy's a fake. I don't want to have anything to do with it. Why? Because that man, in his attempting to be cur- courageous, in his attempt to really do something great, he forced his will over that man's will. God himself doesn't do that. Holy Spirit didn't force his will on you. He don't force his will on you. Other people may try, but God doesn't do that. He's never forced you. I can't stop it. He's making me go to church. Oh, my God. He's never done that. He's never. You know, one day you wake up and you can't remember how to roll a joint anymore. God, why? You know, he didn't, he didn't do that. He doesn't force his will. <laughs> that got some of you right there. <laughs> but he doesn't force his will on you. So why in the world, when we get excited for God and we're trying to do something courageous, do we think we should force our will on somebody else? Brother, you're going to get saved today. I'm out here. I'm facing my fears. And God told me to tell you you're going to burn in hell. Repent right now. No, I don't want to. You have to. Well, that's not, 
Don't force your will. Here's a third little piece that I would encourage you in that. That is, go for it in your lane. Go for it in your lane. I'll explain it to you, but write it down. Go for it in your lane. It, it, listen, step out in faith, encouragement, and go for God. Do bold exploits in your lane. Don't come over in my lane and tell me what I need to do. That's awesome. I'm glad God's doing that for you. He didn't tell me to do that. It's amazing. People come to me all the time. Pastor, I was in prayer. Hallelujah. Actually, I went to a Bethel conference, and the Spirit of the Lord came upon me. It was awesome, Pastor. It was magnificent. And the Lord showed me a vision, and he wants church on the hill to do this, 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 and this. And he told me to tell you I'm his messenger to correct you, Pastor, because you're not doing it. That happens to me frequently, and I'll tell him all the time. That's amazing, but he didn't tell me to do that. I know, Pastor, because you're not listening. That's why I was brought by the Lord. And I always tell him like this, hey, go run in your lane. Don't run in my lane. The Lord put me here, told me to do this. And not only that, but if the Lord wants to correct me, he will correct me. He will. That's all you need to know because I'm in charge. The Lord put me over this church as the pastor of this church. He will smack me up one side and down the other. He will get his protection for his people and move his church where he wants to move it. And I'll tell you something else. You just need to run in your lane. I see, I see wives do this to husbands all the time. God wants you to do this, 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 and this. Sweetheart, run your lane. You're getting over in his lane, guess what he's going to do? He's going to run you over. He's going to hit you with the front of his truck and put you in the ditch. Okay, I can't move him. I don't know. He's not listening to God. That's because God told you to do that for you, not for him. You need to be courageous about that and, and face your fears in that and have a bold exploit in that and let him do what God's in the season that he's in. Because why? He may not be there yet. She may not be there yet. Your boss may not be there yet. You just need to run in your lane and do the bold exploits that you can do. I've seen mamas drag their teenagers' kids out in the middle of the hood to go preach on the street corner because God gave them a vision in the middle of the night. And that 16-year-old is like, oh, my God, I don't want to be here. And they're, you need to preach to this one. Tell them about Jesus. No, I'm not doing it. And creating all Why? Because you're trying to run in their lane and drag their lane into your lane. Just run in your lane. If God gave you something to do and you know you need to overcome some fear and step up, do it. But don't try to get me to do what God's telling you to do. Just do what God's telling you to do and it'll all work out. Two ways to destroy this fear. Number one, we got to deflate it. It's not as big as it seems. The thing you're scared to death about, it's not as big as it seems. That's his plan. He inflates it. we got to deflate it, put it in a practical breakdown. If I do this, what could happen? What might come of it? If I don't do this, what's going to happen? That's a great little exercise for all of you to go home and put into practice and face some of those fears. Deflate it so you can take a step of courage. And then the second piece, how we're going to deflate fear, or excuse me, how we're going to destroy fear, and that is you and I are going to take some bold exploit. We're going to step out in faith and do some things that we've never done before so that God can minister truth and supernatural power to the nations and around us all over the world. Stand with me all across the room. Hope this has helped you today. Wasn't that good? Powerful. God is good. I want you to close your eyes and bow your heads with me for just a moment. I give you that space so that you can concentrate on the Lord. We don't send little elves around to steal your stuff out of your purses at this moment. But so that we can create a private space for you and God. I want you to interact with your Savior. I want you to know your God. I care more about you knowing Jesus than I care about you knowing Church on the Hill any day of the week. I just want you to know your Savior. I want him to talk to you. I want your God to be your best friend. So with your head bowed and your eye closed for a moment, what have you been scared of? What does the enemy use to taunt you, to keep you in a mundane way of living? Why are you so bored? Why are you so boring? Don't blame it on growing up. Don't blame it on responsibility. Jesus was the most responsible human ever to walk the planet. 
<laughs> but he spit in the dirt, put mud on eyes to heal them. He walked on water, creative solutions to problems. The enemy has tried to steal your courage. Encouraged, there's such creativity. It's when you and I are out there on the limb with Jesus, supernatural things happen. Stop blaming it on the way you grew up or the fact that she ran off on you with another guy. Stop blaming it on the fact that somebody that was a boss was prejudiced. God's got creative, supernatural solutions to those situations. But fear can no longer can no longer hold you back and destroy you. We're going to break it today. Right where you stand, with your head bowed and your eye closed, I want you to ask the Lord, say, Lord, set me free. You know a fear that's dominating you, fear of failure, fear of being alone, fear of making a mistake, fear of being laughed at, fear of being poor. Whatever it may be, right now you need to face it. You need to eye to eye it and say, you will not hold me. You will not control me. You will not hold me back another day. Father, I pray for these, your sons and daughters. It says that when they saw the courage of Peter and John, they could tell they had been with you. Lord, I pray for courage. Lord, I pray for bold exploits. Step out. Say, I don't have gold and I don't have silver. What I got, I'll give you. I have a relationship with the King of glory. He heals. God, I pray for bold exploits to become the dream of the day. Lord, I pray that the men and women of Church on the Hill would dream of the bold exploits more than they dream of the new house or the nice car or the new iPhone or the new, you know, vacation spot. God, I pray they'd get more excited about seeing supernatural things happen than they care about the latest movie that's out for the holidays. God, I just pray that the men and women that you're raising up in this hour would be men and women of valor who face their fears. Lord, we all have them. But Jesus, we need your help. So I ask you to come now. I pray that men and women would take this little exercise from this little TED Talk guy and actually put it into place and see great breakthrough. If you put your hands down and bow your heads with me across the room. Maybe your greatest fear is actually serving Jesus. Maybe you're in this place today and say, Pastor, I want to be honest with you. I'm not a Christian. It's because I'm scared. I'm scared I'm going to fail again. I tried to be a Christian one time. It didn't work. Frank, can I tell you something? That's a lie. It's a lie. You don't have to try. Jesus did it all. All you have to do is receive. Maybe you weren't explained properly on who Jesus is, who he was, and what he did. But friend, 2,000 years ago, he paid for every one of your sins. That payment is put in a file with your name on it, an account with your name on it. And all you have to do is access that. Your sins will be forgiven. You'll be cleansed. You'll be with the Lord. So, well, Pastor, how do I do that? I'm so glad you asked. The Bible says if you'll confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that he is the Christ, the son of the living God, he will cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Yeah, but then I'm scared I'm going to go back. Friend, don't let that fear dominate you anymore. Jesus will carry you. See, he doesn't fix you and then save you. He saves you and then fixes you along the way. And some of you are trying to be good and try to get it right before you become a Christian. Friend, you just need to let that fear go courageously and make Jesus the Lord of your life today. With no one looking around, if that's you, I'm talking to you. 
And you know that if you died today, you wouldn't go to heaven. But you don't want to live like this anymore. You want Jesus to come into your life. You want to become a son or daughter of the Most High God. Friend, you're just a prayer away. If I'm speaking to you, God's tugging at your heart. Now is the time to respond. If that's you, say, Pastor, that's me. I'm not a Christian, but I want to become one today. Or you used to be. You walked away and you want to come home. I'd like to pray with you. If that's you, would you just throw your hand up right where you're at? Have the courage to admit that to yourself. God bless you. Thank you for your honesty. Anybody else? Pastor, pray for me. It's time. I'm ready to serve the Lord. I don't want to live like this anymore. God bless you. Yes, ma'am. God bless you. Anybody else? Okay. Yes, sir. Thank you. You can put your hand back down. Anybody else? About two more seconds. Thank you, son. God bless you. You can put your hands down. Today, I want to lead you in a prayer. Prayer of repentance. I'm not going to call you for it. I'm not trying to point you out or embarrass you. This is a private, deep private decision. Affects the entire destiny of your existence. I know it's a public venue, but here and now, let's pray. Let's ask Jesus to come into your life. In fact, I'd like everyone in the audience to pray out loud with those who lifted their hand. And I want you to say this prayer like this. Say, Jesus, today I surrender my life, my desires, my wants. I acknowledge that you are the Savior of the world. And I ask you now to forgive me of my sins. Wash me clean. And I declare in front of everybody, Jesus is my Lord. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Write my name in your book of life. I promise to serve you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name. Keep your head bowed for just a moment. Father, I pray for those who lifted their hand, who said that prayer maybe for the first time or a returning time back to you. God, I pray right now they would sense your forgiveness. They would sense your love. They would sense that it's good. It's okay. And Lord, I know the fear of the mind starts telling them, oh, you're going to blow it. You're going to go out and do that again. And you're going to make God mad. No, Jesus. Lord, destroy those lies. Let them know that you got them in the palm of your hand. And if they sin, all they have to do is ask for forgiveness. And Lord God, that you're going to begin to change their desires, their want-tos. And Lord God, that they're going to become more like you every day. Lord, I thank you for your grace and your mercy in Jesus' name. And all God's people said amen and amen.